Dear Father in heaven, indeed, you are worthy, you and you alone. So we gather this morning as we sing of your praise, as we hear from you, and as we hear from your written word, uh, we, we pray that your spirit would lead us to respond in each of us in our own specific ways, in avenues that are worthy of your glory, of your love, of your sacrifice for us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. When I was uh, growing up, the classic, it seemed to me, male response for why we didn't attend corporate worship gatherings was because we can worship anywhere. You know, I, I can worship just as easily on the golf course or on the water. You know, nothing like a baited hook and a fishing pole and you're on the water by yourself. Great opportunity to worship by myself. But if that's the, the case, that classic response was missing a huge part of why we gather together for worship. I mean, if we gather for worship only for, so that we can exercise individually our spirit for our own benefit, then our understanding of worship is incomplete. Biblically unsound. As we've been walking through worship, let's just review a little bit. Worship with a a small w is what we do here. When we gather for an hour or maybe a little more, if I feel like it, then uh, when we we do that, that little small w worship gathering... In order to to help us, in order to train us, as we'll hear today, to build us up in order to do the capital W worship, which is our whole lives offered under God. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, which will be one of our texts next Sunday, that our whole lives are to be a living sacrifice, that that's our act of worship unto God. That's worship with a capital W. And if small w worship doesn't serve capital W worship, then we're out of step with how God has designed things. So we gather for this time, this small w, in order to help each other experience the reality, the truth of God's presence. Last week we we talked about what are the, the necessary elements to gather in worship. And it's really quite simple. Since God is present everywhere, we don't have to worry about that one. But we have to be present, and we have to be present in spirit and in truth. Other than that, everything else is secondary. As long as we are present together before God in spirit and in truth, if we come in a demeanor of of seeking God, of understanding the, the reality of what we don't see, And if we come in that humility and in that honesty, that sense of truth with God and with one another, then that sets us up 
That prepares us then to, to worship, to experience the reality of God's presence together. Now, this week, then, to correct that classic diversion technique of, of gathering for worship on Sunday, we have to understand that worship with a small w, it is necessary that we gather with one another. It, if it's just individual, then it's incomplete. We must gather with others for that worship with a small w to be complete before God. Now, our passage that will underline that is found on uh, page 935 in your pew Bible. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we'll start with verse 23. Now, let me give you a little bit of the, the situation that's happening in Corinth. What had happened there is as the church gathered together in Corinth, what, what would happen is that uh, there was uh, real manifestations of uh, speaking in tongues. You know, where, where folks would be caught in the Spirit, the Spirit would get, get gifts to the individuals there, they would speak in a language that's unintelligible, that's not known by others around them. And that became sort of a level of spirituality. It was, it was abused in Corinth. I mean, nothing wrong with speaking in tongues. As a matter of fact, in another reading, Paul says that he speaks in tongues as much as any of them, if not more. But the issue is that it was abused. And it became this level of people rushing uh, around, trying to speak louder, speak more. And it became chaotic. And it, was, it became so chaotic that it, it benefited no one except the individuals who were expressing their spiritual gift of tongues. So Paul is going to speak to that, to correct that error, and then lead into, this is what it means. This is how we're to act when we gather in worship. Okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophecy, an unbeliever or an outsider who enters, is reproved by all and called to account by all, after the secrets of the unbeliever's heart are disclosed, that person will bow down before God and worship Him, declaring, God is really among you. Now, just one little statement there about prophecy. Prophecy doesn't mean we tell the future. That's an aspect of prophecy, but actually a small part. The prophets were the people who were the mouthpieces of God. They were the ones through whom God spoke. It, it could just as easily be a word of encouragement, a word of praise, a word of correction. It really had, didn't have to have anything to do with telling the future. Prophets were those that were speaking. So what he's saying is, tongues, you speak in a language that nobody can understand. Prophets, they speak in a language that everyone, the language of the, the people that they can understand. So, verse 26. What should be done then, my friends? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let them be silent in church and speak to themselves and to God. 
Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to someone else sitting nearby, let the first person be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is a God not of disorder, but of peace. So he corrects this uh, sort of spiritual Olympics where they're all trying to show the greatest spirituality by, by this uh, unusual and obvious spiritual gift by saying, you know, that really isn't beneficial in this setting because it really doesn't help others. And so he sets up a little order in verse 26. What should be done then? What, what you need to do is then when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And let all things be done for building up. That, that really summarizes the very essence of corporate, of gathering together for worship. Each one comes with something to give for the building up of the body. And he gives examples. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is an example of things that were most uh, common then, and we can see parallels, some parallels today. One is music. It's what a psalm is. It's it's a song that leads us in in praise or prayer to God. Any kind of music that you you bring, bring that not to perform, but to encourage one another. To help one another in prayer and praise. I've had a number of you say, you know, I really love it when people sing around me and they sing really loudly or that the volume is turned up because then I can sing at the top of my lungs and not worry that I'm causing my neighbor indigestion. Because I don't feel like their voice is as good or pretty. Even though the Lord says, I just want a joyful noise. He says nothing about beautiful one. But a joyful noise is beautiful unto God. So they come bringing songs. Or we come bringing a a teaching. A a teaching that would be based, a lesson that would come from the Word. From the written Word. From the Scriptures. An an insight, a thought, a question that you bring to the body. That you give to all that are gathered in order to build them up. In order to encourage. In order to challenge. Or you bring a revelation. Revelation. And a revelation would be not something based on the written word, but something based on your life. A way that you've heard or seen or felt the work of God. I mean, what we call God stories or, you know, testimonies. A revelation that we share with one another. Or a tongue and an interpretation. Now... When you hear that, when you read that, do you see the disconnect like I see it? I mean, is, is that passage what we think of when we gather? I, my experience is it isn't, because I think I do most of the talking. And, and what Paul is saying is, you know, Smith, to sit down every once in a while. Other people do the talking and let it flow freely from the body. 
Now, I, I also realize that we have particular constraints. I mean, there's Sunday school classes going on and other things like that. And I know if I'm teaching third grade and we decide to go on for two hours, which would add an hour to the third grade class, I might not respond with Christian love and compassion. But what's key here is that Paul says each one, not each elder, not each minister, not each ordained person, but each one who has the Spirit of God within them, each one who has received and follows the ways of Jesus are, are, are to come with the purpose of giving. Now, one of the ways that we correct that, I mean, since in our large gatherings we have certain constraints and we need to, to again, to, to grow in, in that way, which I will say, um, if during the course of this hour or so, you feel the Lord leading you for an instruction, what I would invite you to do is, during the offering, come to, to me or to Mitch, and then we can share it with the group. I'll talk a little more about that later. But one of the ways that we allow for that interaction, for that building one another up, the hands and hands, face to face, is in small groups. Uh, Sunday school classes, those kind of, of gatherings where each one does come and the opportunity is there to, to share that lesson, that revelation, to, a song. And that's why we've, we've been promoting for the last year and a half a small a number of years for that, but uh, small groups. That's why we've had things like Outflow and had small groups connected with them. While we had Consume series and, and groups to gather to encourage one another, to build one another, to, to obey Paul's guiding and leading for what a worship gathering is to be. And why, starting in October, we're going to have another set with spiritual pathways where we encourage and provide small groups to gather where each one comes to give whatever teaching or revelation or insight or comfort or question the Spirit may have placed upon them. You know, we can tell that... I can tell. It seems to me that that our, our complaints or the complaints that I, that I hear or that I feel, not just here but in the church in general, the conversations around worship, uh, that, that worship gatherings and the complaints that begin to surface show how as leaders in the church we have done a poor job of teaching this passage. And part of it is hey, I like to talk up here. And you know, if I let you all talk, then that means I get less time. But we've done a poor job here because of the... I mean, consider, think with me about the, the, the different complaints, the different issues we have with worship, gathering to worship. You know, two weeks ago, we, we talked about when we gather to worship, we don't gather in order to evaluate the service. We don't gather to evaluate whether or not the, the song was good or the sermon was, was okay or... The leading was appropriate. We, we gather before God in order to be evaluated. And if we focus our attention on evaluating, then we are able to 
sort of sidestep the Spirit of God evaluating us. The key one for me as I look at this particular passage is when we say, you know, ah, I didn't get much out of that service. You know, I, that one didn't feed me. You know, that one, that one really, I just don't take anything away from, from that one. And I think if that's our response, I think Paul just like he told the Corinthians, would he be telling us, well, if that's why you came to worship, you came asking the wrong question. You don't come in order to get. You come to gathering for worship in order to give. I mean, this is a classic Jesus kind of statement. It's a classic statement that Jesus' church would make. I mean, it just falls right in line with Jesus' kind of upside down means right side up kind of statements. Like Jesus saying, love your enemies. What? They're my enemies because I hate them. makes no sense to love them. Jesus saying, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those that don't have electricity. What? That's upside down, inside out. Doesn't make sense here. It's like Jesus saying, if you want to find your life, then you have to lose it. For if you spend your time trying to find your life, you'll lose it. Huh? That's what Paul is saying here. It's in the same way, that same kind of huh statement of Jesus. That if you come, if we gather in order to get, nothing happens. But if we gather in order to give, then the getting will fall into place and will be multiplied ten and a hundredfold. When we gather together, the, the first question, or one of the questions upon us, can be, can lead us in this way. Maybe our opening prayer, God, what do I have to give today to my brothers and sisters in Christ? Maybe prayer, it may be praise, it may be a story, it may be a spiritual utterance that needs to be interpreted by another. It may simply be a handshake, a greeting, a passing of the peace. When we gather to worship, we gather in order to give. And the getting, the receiving, will flow. Now, if you're like me, you may, you may wonder, you know, how is it, is from what sounds, the freedom, the, the expression, the opportunity, the, the egalitarian nature of the, the the gathering in this first century church, you know, how do we Presbyterians sort of become sort of stodgy and controlled? You know, the old frozen chosen. And I know fully well that is not our heritage here. And I'm all over 
pursuing that heritage that opens things up, that allows people to speak with one another and to one another. But notice this. Notice the second part of the passage. It is okay. As a matter of fact, it's appropriate. It is good that we have order. That we do have a level of control. Because chaos in a setting like this benefits no one. That's why basically Paul tells the church in Corinth, hey, if you've got some folks who want to speak in tongues, get two or three of them and have them stand in line. And don't let them speak unless there's someone that can interpret it for others. You've got some folks that are prophets, great, but have them stand in line. Let them speak so that all can hear and all can benefit. And then know, he tells us, then weigh what they say. You better do the same with me. It's the same with me. Don't just count because I'm saying it. That makes it gospel truth. No, that's, I appreciate most of the time that you weigh what I say and challenge it according to the Word. Let, let it be according to the Word and that we benefit from that with one another. So it's not so much that we, we gather in order to say, I've got a word from the Lord for you. It's more of... I've got a word from the Lord. Can I share it with you? And in that process, we, we discern and we learn with one another and we build each other up. So God has us under some form of control. An order of peace to our gatherings. Again, for the main purpose End of verse 31. So that all may learn and all be encouraged. There's to be control, but there's to be freedom within it. So that all, so that all get. The the freedom is allowed so that all may give, so that it results in us all getting. Now, as I said earlier, if during the offering today you have a sense of a, the, the Lord speaking to you and you want to share that with others, I in, encourage you to, again, come to Mitch or to me. Next Sunday, if you, you want to read ahead, you know, I should probably do this every Sunday, let you read ahead. That's probably a good idea, isn't it? Give you the same opportunity uh, that uh, who's ever up here is speaking. But next Sunday, Isaiah 58. Amos 5 or Romans 12. Those are three of the passages. I'll say them again. Isaiah 58, Amos 5, and Romans 12. So why do we come to worship? Why do you come to worship? Because we need you. That's why. I need you. The person... To the left or the right or behind you or in front. Somebody here needs you to be here because you have what God has given you in order to you to give it to one another. And do not think you have nothing to give. Because if the Spirit of God resides in you, then you have everything there is to give. What more of value could you have? But the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus residing in you, sharing it with others. And Hebrews 10 says it well, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, 
not, neglect or not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. It might even be as simple as the passing of the peace. A very good friend, a colleague in ministry, now living in California, whose uh, brother, deceased now, but his brother had an onset of a myriad of debilitating mental issues that led him for a number of years to really struggle with suicide. But he was, he was a follower of Jesus, and he would regularly come to worship services. And he said the favorite part of the worship service was the passing of the peace. Because, one, in the passing of the peace, he had another human being either touch him hand to hand or even hug his neck, look him in the eye, and share with him something of great value. And one time, after the worship service, he even said, you know, that was the only time someone touched me in a loving way all week. Then he said, but what I like most is that I get to give back. And it's the only time every week that I have anything or that I feel I have anything of value to give to another. Friends, that's jubilee. That is freedom. That is freedom for the oppressed. That is freedom for those who are imprisoned. That he can gather with brothers and sisters and give the eternal gift of the peace of God and receive it in a hand-to-hand, face-to-face way. That's why we gather together. We, we need each other. It's so difficult to follow Jesus, to live according to God's manner of life in a world that doesn't. We need each other in a hand-to-hand, face-to-face way. One of the ways that we live that out is by presenting our children before one another. We had a baptism in the first service, and this service we have a dedication, as is our custom here to allow according to the, the family's traditions.